Hello, you're very welcome into NCBI's technology podcast. My name is Stuart Lawler. Happy Christmas, everybody. This is episode number 19 for December 2013. Oh, I'm feeling Christmassy already with that music. Uh, Something different this month just to get us into the festive spirit. Thank you for subscribing to and downloading our technology podcast. Hope you're going to enjoy what we have for you this month because coming up over the next 41 or so minutes, I'll be speaking with Geraldine from Southern Optics. Dave Nason is here to talk to me about Blind Square GPS as a low vision user. Dave Salisbury from Dolphin Computer Access tells us what's new with that company. Marcus Butner, an assistive technology enthusiast from Galway, is with me to talk ios and other things and finally james from enhanced vision and ellis from vision aid round off this month's episode that's all coming up on our technology podcast While starting us off this month, it's always nice to hear from our listeners. Many of you get in touch with us every month by sending an email to technologypodcast at ncbi.ie. And please continue to do so because we get some very useful feedback and suggestions for future podcasts when you write to us. Somebody who did that this month is a gentleman by the name of Ken Syred, S-I-R-E-D, and my apologies if I've pronounced the name incorrectly. And he says, hi, Stuart, just a short note to say that I enjoy your podcasts. Lots of good information. I've been retired from the CNIB, that's the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, for five years. I came to the iPhone in 2010 and as a retirement project have tutored blind and low vision folk on how to use iDevices. Your podcasts always add to my bank of information. And he says, warm regards from snowy Calgary. Ken, thank you so much for getting in touch. I've been in touch with Ken already and uh, watch this space because um, he's going to be a, a guest on a future podcast. That's all I can say for now. It'll be very interesting to hear Uh, about services in Canada and uh, clearly some of the really good work that Ken has done previously with the CNIB. I want to also acknowledge indeed a number of emails I received over the year from Oren O'Neill, a regular listener to the podcast and not only a regular listener but uh, very helpful to me because uh, Oren in his day job uh, does lots of interesting things around sound production so I really appreciate Oren's input and uh, another gentleman that I think we're going to have to catch up with at some point in 2014. As we reach the end of 2013, just uh, one quick tech update for you, for the owners of the PlexTalk Pocket. And uh, we reviewed the PlexTalk Pocket Lineo, of course, earlier in the year. This time, though, for the current or the previous PlexTalk Pocket, there is a new software update. And one of the nice features is that it now has a new text-to-speech engine, a much more natural-sounding voice. And it also allows you to automatically connect to wireless networks without you having to spend specify what type of encryption is on the network. You'll remember that was one of the features of the new Plex Talk Pocket Lineo. So if you have a Plex Talk Pocket, you can download the update at plextalk.com. And make sure to read the release notes and installation guide before doing so. Once again, if you want to get in touch with us, please send an email in the middle of eating all your turkey and everything else to technologypodcast at ncbi.ie.
You're listening to NCBI's technology podcast at our assistive technology roadshow. I've called up with Geraldine from Southern Optics. Geraldine, lovely to have you, to meet you again. And you too, Stuart. Nice to have you on our podcast. Thank you very much. Um, lovely to meet an Irish company as well. Southern Optics, a, a, an Irish company based in is it Cork? That's right, based in Cork, run okay. by my brother and myself. So a family company. And I'm standing in front of your table and I have seen, I'm seeing lots of magnifiers, small, large and everything in between. Yes, absolutely. Um, these are very good for people who are particularly out and about. There's a lot of technology nowadays with computers and for watching on television, but they're great when you're at home or in situ. But you forget that when you're out and about shopping and out for something to eat, that we all need a little handheld bit of help in our pockets so that we can read things instantly. Okay. Like prices of, of shopping, sizes on clothes, things like that. So we have various different types of handheld magnifiers different for people with different needs, yes. whatever suits them, and all different strengths. And these are powered magnifiers, are they? They are all powered. They're okay. all different powers. Yeah, yeah. So one needs to come in and see which power suits them. Of course. You know, some people can get away with a lower power that'll give them a wider field of view. Others need a very strong magnifier. Um, you know, that gives them a shorter working distance in that. We also do filters for people uh, who would have very light sensitivity and some people even find watching the television that they'd have a glare coming off the television so we have glasses in various different coloured tints to help with that I often I often know from challenge people with low vision things like being able to see a bus number as it's approaching I guess something like that's this that's right we yeah. have uh, monoculars also yes. which are specifically for seeing in the distance okay. so a monocular is like one half of a binocular okay and uh, they're very easy to use very discreet you can wear them around your neck or have them in your pocket pop them out and focus them very quickly to see what bus number is coming, where you are in a supermarket, uh, children looking at blackboards and things like that at school. Very good for that. That's probably important to say, Geraldine, that although you're showing all this stuff here today, you don't actually sell direct to end users. No, we're wholesalers, so I'm just here demonstrating today for the NCBI and everything can be got through the NCBI clinics. Fantastic. Geraldine, thanks for chatting to us and I hope the rest of the exhibition goes well. Thank you very much, Stuart. You're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast. It's our Christmas episode, and I'm in our training center, and I'm delighted to meet up again with uh, iPhone guru, Dave Nason. Dave, welcome back. Thanks very much, Stuart. Very nice to have you back with us again. Um, this month, we're, we're, we're following on from um, an interview we did last month with Ilka Perduma, who's the mm-hmm. developer of the, the Blind Square app over in Finland. And I haven't used the app yet, and one of the pieces of feedback we got from people was that whilst they, whilst they found the interview very interesting they were curious to know practically speaking how does the app work so Dave you're, you're, you're a user of Blind Square right? I do use it a, a bit yeah so, so let's establish first of all because it probably has a, some significance you have some some level of vision I do yeah I'm low vision so the app itself Dave from a um, let's say a, a mobility perspective uh, how useful is it to give you indications or information on landmarks around you that's what it's primarily for so it won't do turn by turn you can't say take me to 
such and such a place, it won't take you there. What it does is it tells you what your current surroundings are. So it'll tell you your current address. Um, as you walk down the street, it'll update that. It'll tell you that you're approaching a crossing, that kind of thing. And depending on what filters you're using, it will tell you the names of shops and businesses and things that you're as you're passing by them as well. Right, so my understanding, and I, I only have it on my phone very recently, is that you can say, I want to see restaurants as I pass. I don't want mm-hmm. to see maybe shops or yeah. I want to see, um, I don't know, pubs or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you can um, filter it so it'll not tell you shops and not tell you residential buildings and so on and just tell you restaurants that are nearby based off the Foursquare um, database of points of interest. So it has to be on that database, and then it'll uh, let you know as you're passing them. So if you're looking for something, let's say, uh, somewhere you haven't been before, it might be a restaurant, it could be a business, assuming it's in Foursquare, you could navigate yourself there by uh, interacting with this app. Is that right? Well, not like I say, it won't tell you to turn left or go straight on or anything you'd need to have an idea of where you're going and it will just point out the landmarks along the way as you're reaching it so if you know you have to go up Whitworth Road and then take a right it'll let you know when you've got to that point to turn right okay but it won't tell you to turn right you can interact with another app say Apple Maps or Navigon if you want to have turn by turn okay and it will actually um, interact the two apps will work together then. How accurate is the GPS? Because I think one of the problems people have is, you know, I want to find the bank, and there could be four mm-hmm. doors. How do you know you're at the bank? Does, does it, have you had a, a sort of problems with that? Or? It wouldn't be hugely accurate again. Um, first of all, the point itself is based on where whoever created it on Foursquare has put the point, which may be the door in one case and may not be in another case. Okay. Um, and also, I find sometimes when I'm crossing streets, it'll say it's 15 metres away when I'm two metres away. Okay. That kind of thing. Yeah. But it varies and it, it updates you and lets you know if GPS accuracy is poor or good. But that is um, not not something that I think they're able to really to do. Yeah, and, and I, I think the, the, the general rule with GPS is that it's about down to it's, it's down to about three metres anyway, isn't it? So yeah, it probably doesn't get like much more accurate than that. Um, you, you mentioned to me before we, we came on air the virtual mode, which Ilka had mentioned as well. So mm-hmm. my understanding is you can sort of, before you go out, you can explore something before you leave home. Yeah, so I could find, say, a point of interest, and then I say go into simulation mode it's called and that will you'll hear street noises and things that he puts in the background so that you know you're in simulation mode okay and it'll then you can kind of use the look around features say what are the nearest cross streets what other businesses are near here that kind of thing and it'll give you kind of a northeast southwest direction to these various things so it's just maybe to give yourself a bit of orientation if you know you're going to a certain spot and you want to know what's around that spot it's interesting, Dave, because I suppose I've talked to lots of people, um, visually impaired and, and blind people, who use GPS in different ways. I personally only like to use GPS to tell me where I am. If I'm stuck in traffic on the bus or something, and I use a free app, and I don't mind uh, saying it on the podcast, called Walk Dublin. It's a great mm-hmm. app that everybody should get. Uh, it was developed by um, a small startup out of the Nat- National Digital Research Centre, and it works in all cities, not just in Dublin. Okay. But the, the idea, I suppose, of Walk Dublin, it just it, one of the features, there are others, but one of them for us is the this uh, where am I uh, option. Mm. But um, I suppose the, the 
the idea or the point I'm making is that in relation to BlindSquare, then you have these additional features of being able to know or find a business or, or know what's around you in mm. your surroundings rather than just knowing where you are. Yeah, exactly. And looking around. And I, for example, was trying to find somewhere up the Keys, walking up the Keys uh, recently. And uh, so I found the Ulster Bank, which I knew it was near on the Keys and selected that as a favorite place. And then as I walked up the Keys, Blind Square told me when I got to Ulster Bank. So then I knew I'd gone far enough and I could take my turn. Okay. So things like that, it will be useful for it. But it, like I say, it won't give you a turn by turn as such, but it lets you know your surroundings. And I used it on the bus as well today I, just to try it out, really. And it was announcing every cross street as I went along on the bus journey. So um, people might find it useful for that as well, because a lot of buses don't have announcements on them. The price of the app, I suppose, it might be considered by some as on the more expensive side mm. because we've all come to expect apps for 99 cents. <laughs> what do you feel about the price? Um, it's not cheap, but I think for what it does, if, if you're going to get use out of it, I think it's, what is it, about 20 euro, I think. Yeah. I think that's well spent, personally. Um, but maybe have a try of things like Walk Dublin and see if they're working for you, then you don't need it. Um, I think part of the price is going to pay for voices as well, because in iOS 7 now they have introduced the ability to use the Apple voices uh, within Blind Square. Apple opened up that ability. But you can also have a cappella voices in this app. Okay. Um, and I think some of the price is probably going to paying for that licensing as well. Are there any features of this app specific to low vision users, or is it is it just generally does it just work with zooms as, as sort of as is out of the box? Yeah, it seems to work the same for for both. Really, you might use it in different ways, in the same way that we all use GPS in different ways. But okay. the app itself. Um, will carry the same functionality, I think. Somebody put a, a YouTube video up, I don't know if you've seen it, that they were showing how Blind Square GPS can be used, you have to take your SIM card out of your phone before you do this, but can be used on an aeroplane. And you can actually track uh, not only the speed you're flying, but where you're flying over. Um, I don't know how it does it. I, I don't know how accurate it is, but th there is a video on YouTube. Um, if I find it, we'll put it up on the show notes here so people can have a look. Um, so it's Blind Square. The app is available in the App Store, 20 or so odd euros if you want to uh, spend your money and uh, play with it over Christmas. Dave, we couldn't let you go without um, giving you a chance to promote your recently launched YouTube channel. Some of at least one previous interview from the NCBI Technology Podcast up there already. Uh, there is indeed. Um, I think there's two, actually. And it is at www.youtube.com slash Dave Nason, D-A-V-E-N for November, A-S-O-N. Um, they're not highly professional, but they're just some tutorials on uh, mostly Apple products and how we're using them with voiceover and low vision. You'll also find that link in the show notes for this month's episode. Thanks, Dave, thanks as always. Have a great Christmas, and I hope we're going to chat with you again next year. Same to you. Thanks a million. Many thanks to Dave Nason there. It's always great to catch up with Dave. Uh, as we said, a bit of an iOS and Apple guru. And of course, before that, to Geraldine from Southern Optics. I must say, I always enjoy chatting to Geraldine because it's really interesting to see the vast array of low-tech, low low-vision aids and the significant difference they can make to somebody with low vision. And, and you know, the, the very basic kind of tasks like waiting to catch a bus or doing your knitting or just the things that some of us 
guess, might take for granted. Now, you're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast. It's our Christmas 2013 edition, How Quickly a Year Goes Pie, and what a busy year it's been for technology too. Let's go back to our Assistive Technology Exhibition now, which took place on the 25th of October. And I had a chance to catch up with Dave Salisbury from Dolphin Computer Access Limited. And he started by telling me about something very new that we certainly haven't talked about with Dave before. Yes, so we've introduced a keyboard. Uh, It's large print, white on black. Um, It's a standard QWERTY keyboard, but it has an extra 18 keys on it to operate Supernova. So Supernova is our screen reader, screen magnification software. So so this is going to allow you to, I guess, quickly magnify text? It is. So the keys, I won't run through them all, but uh, there's a key on there, um, the first one on the top left. If you press that one, we'll start the program now. And if the program is running, you press that key, um, it will bring up the control panel. And you've got a key on there for help, so it always gives you online help, wherever you are. Uh, there's a launch pad, so podcast symbol. It's a launch pad with a podcast, internet radio, etc. that's built into Supernova. Um, we've got a colour changer. We've got focus highlighting. Then we've got magnification on off. Bigger, smaller magnification. Uh, we've got the different magnification modes, so you can cycle through those. And one of the things I sort of noticed from looking at it is that the keys are a lovely size. They're yes. really nice. nice they're, they're, they're no bigger than a standard keyboard, but they're printed nice. Okay. And, and it stands out. And okay. we only do white on black. Um, and we're going to see how this goes. And the way it's going, people are loving this keyboard. Hopefully, in the future, there'll be different color ones. What's the price of the Dolphin keyboard? The price of the Dolphin keyboard is €59. Euro. Great bargain. So... Uh, if you're using a Dolphin product, probably something well worth having. Yeah, so it, it's, it only, at this precise moment, only works with Supernova. All four versions of Supernova, but it only works Supernova. Guide, coming on to Guide, um, Guide version 8 will be out the second week of November. The major difference in Guide version 8 is the internet. It's been totally rewritten to get around the internet. And that's probably a really good thing, because I know some people had said Guide, while it's and it is brilliant, there was some problems on the internet. Yeah, wasn't and it it, you're right. Uh, uh, yes, some of us can get around those sort of things, but straight out the box now, it's going to fly around the internet. I've seen it in action, and even I can use it, so, you know, that's saying a lot. 8.1 of Guide will be out probably just after Christmas. That will work with a Dolphin keyboard. Okay, so I guess if somebody gets a Dolphin keyboard now, uh, by sort of early 2014, they'll be using Guide with their Dolphin keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Dave, it's always good to catch up with you. Thank you for chatting to us, and I hope the rest of the exhibition goes well. I hope so too, and I'll see you in the bar later for a pint of the black stuff. You're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast. I'm in Galway at our Assistive Technology Roadshow. And today I'm catching up with Marcus Butner from, uh, well, originally from Germany, but now living in Galway. Marcus, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You're a a visually impaired user of Assistive Technology. And indeed, we we had you on last year when you were doing a a review of of Omobi. Yeah. So let's find out a bit about yourself first. What's brought you to, to Ireland from Germany? Um, well, I studied English linguistics in the university, and um, I have to say I lost my sight when I uh, was 20, so I kind of took the challenge and said, okay, I go to college after spending a year um, in a blind school learning all this stuff with jaws and walking around with a cane and learning Braille and stuff, and 
that's when I first encountered JAWS and then JAWS brought me through my university degree and um, during that degree I uh, I wanted to go abroad because I studied English linguistics and um, I thought there's no use studying that in Germany without having spent some time in the in the, in the country and then I in uh, the year before I finally went I had met some uh, people from Galway who spent their year abroad in Bamberg in Germany where I studied and they were lovely people and I thought Galway sounds like a very lovely place and I think I'd go there so I did that in 2004 and I loved it I was very close to staying here but uh, then I went back to Germany and completed my MA and in 2007 I came back and because I had met my girlfriend and now wife who is from Galway in the meantime in Germany actually so I had a reason to come back with her and then I've been here since 2007 so here you are never looked back no brilliant so t- tell us a bit about because we've we've ch- as I say we've had you on the podcast before you and I have chatted a lot by email and you're I would if I was to sort of label you or describe you a passionate user of technology and you so many interesting things to talk about but we spoke maybe just before the interview about the MacBook Air which is a device I know you've been kind of using for a while yeah the switch to the Mac was pre- was well prepared because I've, I'm, I've been active in a, in a German Apple blind tech mailing list and I wanted to try this and I was saving up the money and stuff and then but for the last two years Every email that had to do with switching from Windows to Mac OS, uh, I saved it. So I and there was some podcasts as well in Germany. Um, so I was prepared to do it because my my little Toshiba uh, notebook was about to pack up, anyways, and it didn't ha- couldn't handle big pieces pieces of writing like a PhD anymore. So I thought I have to get a new laptop, anyways. Why now might be the time. You know, to mm-hmm. to get the Mac, and, and was that switch? Because you know, I, I've had l- heard lots of people say that you almost need to compartmentalize your mind, forget everything you ever n- know about Windows, because everything's different. Was that a big thing for you? <coughs> um, n- not really. Because I I know that um, somebody explained that quite well. I can't remember who that was in some podcast. Um, when you have, for example, Jaws for Windows, you imagine. You're sitting at a table and you have a laptop in front of you and JAWS is sitting between the laptop and the screen because JAWS is getting everything from the graphics okay. display and on, with the MacBook, voiceover is sitting between you and the laptop. Yeah. And so you operate the laptop through voiceover. That's why uh, a sighted person with JAWS or NVDA turned on um, on Windows laptop can very well still use that laptop. On the MacBook... Um, it's a bit different because if I have the trackpad, uh, trackpad navigation turned on, uh, my wife can, can hardly use my laptop because uh, voiceover changes all the gestures and stuff like that. Okay. So um, once you know that, it's okay, you know, but um, there's still things that are similar because all the control plus a letter um, commands you have on Windows, like control A for highlight all and... Control C and Control V and Control P, all those things, so standard things Windows has, work as well in Mac OS X, but with Command. So Command A is save, uh, highlight all. Command S is save. Command C is copy. Command P is print. So that is a similarity. 
there's something also, I guess, with Mac, um, there's something very liberating, isn't there, about being able to go to any computer pressing the, was it, Command F5 to, to switch on speech and just yes. go. Oh, yes. And um, for me, the, f- the freedom um, is not to be able to use a device as a blind person. For me, because that's nothing new. We've been doing that since talks. You yeah. Know, and so, yeah. Um, for me, the freedom is to set the device up, to take it out of the box, bring it out of the shop, bring it home. You know, and um, like it's the same when I got my when I got my iPhone, I brought it home from the shop. And, um, my wife asked me, "Do I have to do anything now? Install a screen reader?" I yes. Said, no. Yeah. Triple click home, and that's it. Yeah. Or when the MacBook came, my wife. Uh, well, you 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 said I'm a. a passionate user of technology that would be very mild to what my wife thinks <laughs> okay. oh my god you're always on your laptop and, well, uh, if your wife is listening she can send us an email and, and yes, even get a better description she can <laughs> confirm that and uh, she said oh do I have to install uh, now anything and set up your you know the time zone settings and all that mm. stuff you have to do first Yeah. I said nope and I pressed the power button and 15 seconds later the MacBook spoke and she said wow you mentioned you uh, you mentioned talks there a moment ago, and I suppose from our perspective here in Ireland in the very early two thousands, and this you know revolutionary product coming from Germany by these two guys was just incredible. And I suppose a lot of us know now that we have to be thankful to Marcus and Torsten, Torsten because Bantry. I don't think we would have had the accessibility on any other phone without talks. Was was it a big thing for you when you got your talks phone the first time? Uh, I have to say I was a very late starter um, at that because I I don't actually know why I didn't see either I didn't have sometimes I didn't have the money sometimes I didn't have the the interest really and um, I got my first talks demo license in 2010 okay yeah in summer 2010 or or early 2010 and then I I bought Code Factory Mobile Speak and then I got so frustrated with that and uh yeah, then I, I, I bought an, uh, an iPhone 3GS on eBay, and so. But I was thrilled about the first being able to use Talks, yeah, I, because this I didn't have that before, and. And, and of course, we, we've talked about it on this podcast before because the landscape has changed. The, the uh, Symbian operating system is effectively defunct, and yeah. some of that great work uh, is no more. But but it certainly led to accessibility in things like the iPhone. Oh yeah, that people think about that at all. You know, that's um, um, that we as let's say our user group appeared on their screen at all. You know, yeah. as a possible target group. You know. It's, I mean, I remember first when they, in 2009, when the iPhone 3G, 3GS came out with voiceover. And I, I, know, I remember I went to this phone shop and I, I said, can I, can I have a go? Can I try that? You know? And first of all, he didn't really know how to turn it on. And then I kind of rocked around on the screen a small bit and I thought, it's a gadget that can't yeah, work. Yeah. Screen reader and touch screen yeah. that can't work. And I gave it back to him and he wasn't able to turn off voiceover. And I thought, I see if he can't do that. <laughs> and I was very wrong and I'm happy to admit that yeah. I was wrong. You know, because oh, listen, I mean, Marcus, I think we were all, I, I think I've told the story on this podcast before. I got my first iPhone, the 3GS, uh, sent it back within a week. I couldn't cope. I, and, and that was because I think there was a much smaller user community of iPhone users at that stage. Yeah. And I just didn't have... I yeah. felt my productivity went way down. Yeah. 
Oh, it's just, it's you know, I couldn't text. I couldn't do loads of things. And then one guy that I that should be mentioned here as well. I think I'd like to mention it because he he had a big influence on me, and um, he's a German guy, Marco Zeer, and he is blind, and he is the guy that's in charge of the accessibility of Mozilla Firefox, and he was he worked for Jaws in uh, for for Freedom Scientific in Germany. To 2006 or 2007, not that long ago, and um, I read an article um, by him and about him and an interview on a German magazine page, and they were talking about the iPhone and how he once walked home um, and there was an obstacle in the way and he didn't know what it was, and then he sent he took a picture and sent it on Twitter, and then within minutes he had the answer from the. Twitter followers saying, "Oh, it's some container there on a construction site. You have to go to the right onto the grass and then walk past it." And I thought, "Huh, yeah. <laughs> I might give that another chance." Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I, I think when you hear people's success stories, it makes you maybe rethink and grab, yeah, grab the and device. And the amount of people um, I, I, I spoke at a conference recently and. Um, I was asking them about the connection cable. I have an adapter for my MacBook, you know, Thunderbolt to uh, the projector cable. Um, and I asked for the cable, you know, just to be prepared for the talk. And there was this uh, participant at the conference. And you have one of them Macs. And I'm not a big Apple fan at all. And afterwards, I said, can you ask me, can you, can you tell me why? So many people say to me, I'm not a big Apple fan. Yeah. Have you ever used one? Yeah. Why are you not a big Apple fan? Oh, they are so expensive. Is it well? I paid a thousand euros for my MacBook Air. Yes, but I would also pay seventeen hundred euros for a Jaws license. Okay, so you're getting for a little bit more expensive, maybe in, in the on the computer, you're getting your accessibility solutions built. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to mention is, uh, uh, I when I bought this laptop, um, I knew I wanted an SSD drive because. As a blind person, you bump into your laptop, or when I walk, uh, I work on the bus a lot, and the country roads are not always the best. Yes. No, I lost a hard disk drive because I I was pulling my laptop in a suitcase trolley over cobblestones, and I broke a hard disk drive. During my year in Galway in 2004, somebody in the library bumped into my laptop and broke the connection between you know the inside the internal connection between the uh, the power adapter and the mainboard and the laptop was broken and the macbook has those magsafe uh, magnetic power plugs and they're awesome for especially blind users how often do you stumble over your your cable or you pull your cable walking past the table and you know stuff like that yeah and you just pull it out and you just plug it back in again and it makes click and you know exactly where it goes because it'll pull it in the, yeah, the, the yeah. magnet will pull and it in yeah. there's no way that can break tell me about your interest in NVDA because I know you've chatted to me about NVDA before we've had people like Ronan McGurk on this podcast before he's doing a lot of work with Irish speech in NVDA I know that's something that is of interest to you as well how, how do you rate NVDA as a screen reader these days? Um, it's it has I mean I still have my my little um, Windows laptop and NVDA especially this year's release has finally led led me to actually delete JAWS because uh, it does all I need and it sounds better because I bought this um, Tiflotechnia uh, language pack you know the, the, those voices okay uh, the, they basically they're the the vocalizer voices that you have in the iPhone as well and um, 
So basically, my, my NVDA sounds like my iPhone or my Mac. So and the responsive uh, re responsiveness is there as well. So um, I like NVDA because it's 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 responsive. It does a very good job. And of course, you have to learn a few things. And but with the object navigation, it, it is actually not too different from VoiceOver. And um, yeah, I, I I really like it. And I think it's well worth. Um, supporting that project. Mm. So you're clearly passionate and excited about technology. You oh. use it every day. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the one piece of technology that you're never without, that you that you don't leave home without? My iPhone. Very good. Marcus, it's been lovely to chat to you. It's Thanks really good to catch up with someone who is so, I suppose, passionate, I'll use the word again, about yeah. technology, <laughs> and who is so enthusiastic. Um, and I do hope we're going to keep in touch with you. But for the moment, thanks for chatting to us today. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye, Ray. My thanks to Marcus Butner there. I really enjoyed having that uh, chat with Marcus over a cup of coffee in Galway. Um, a, a, certainly a guy that I, I, I want to stay in touch with um, in terms of the podcast and a guy who's always uh, on the cutting edge in terms of access technology. And before that, of course, great to catch up with Dave Salisbury from Dub Dolphin Computer Access. Now, one of the new companies at our Assistive Technology Roadshow this year was Enhanced Vision. And I had a chance to catch up with James towards the end of the exhibition when the room was getting a little bit quieter. And I started off by asking him, what are Enhanced Vision? Um, enhanced Vision specialise in predominantly low vision aids, uh, electronic magnifiers, and they come in lots of different shapes and sizes depending on the purpose that you wish to use them. Um, we start off with really basic magnifiers that are portable, which are fantastic for in use like supermarkets and restaurants. And with their own screens, they magnify up to about 15 times and you can change contrast and colours. Uh, they then go up to uh, laptop solutions, so if you're a student wanting to magnify um, a blackboard or a whiteboard, the cameras have distance viewing in, and we also do desktop machines that have speech in, and they're fantastic for use domestically at home for reading books or magnifying pictures, crosswords. So, so with the speech, is that something that will OCR and speak and magnify the text? It does, it does. It's a predominantly a magnifier, but it's okay. got speech built in, but it's, it's a function that we call selective speech. So if you've got lots of columns in a newspaper, as an example, you can specifically specify where it reads. The idea, James, of, I suppose, somebody being able to, as you said there, go to the supermarket and magnify something without having to either really strain to look at is this, uh, you know, a tin of soup, or to have to ask somebody. That's really liberating, isn't it? Oh, the amount of people that we see, obviously, um, it just gives them so much independence back. Even things like if you get a bill and asking a neighbour to read a bank statement and obviously things like that, being able to do it yourself gives you a lot more independence and obviously you, you're not trusting third parties. So it's really, really, really good for the user. All right, so if people want to get more information, you guys have a, a website? I certainly do. It's www.enhancedvision.co.uk. James, thanks a million for chatting to us and enjoy the rest of the exhibition. Thank you very much.
You're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast. At our Assistive Technology Roadshow, I'm joined by Ellis from VisionAid. Lovely to have you back in the podcast, Ellis. Thanks, Stuart. Always nice nice to to see you back in these parts. (laughs) So last year, I think for me, and I know for lots of people who attended our technology exhibition, the wow product you had was called the wand. Yes, and, and in fact, it was such a such a wow product that we bought one for our centre, um, and it's going really well, by the way. Um, so this time, I believe that's been upgraded to the Air. It has. So it's the same software, the Reddit software, but the camera is now even more portable. Um, it's gone down from 690 grams to 500, so just over a pound in weight now. Um, it's almost half the height, so it, it will fit in any bag, even a sort of a handbag size. Now it's about 26 centimeters tall, um, so I think that's about a ten and a half. 11 inches in height um, and it, the uh, image quality slightly improved on it as well fantastic so, yeah. so, so the idea of being able to literally put this in your bag have your laptop or bring it to a PC in, on, on, if you have the software installed on that PC already and just plug it in that's right uh, and it, the software lets you install it on three machines as well for one, one user license so okay. um, that means because most people nowadays will have access to more than one computer that they want to use it on um, so they can have it on up to three at the same time and the software itself right is quite sophisticated because it does other things like, for example, PDF uh, recognition and, and other things? It does. I mean, the number one sort of bane of a lot of visually impaired and blind users is inaccessible PDFs if they're sent via an email to right. them. They might be scanned on a multi-function printer and they're called a PDF, but none of the text information is accessible. Yeah. But with this, you can. it actually has what's called shell integration, so you can control-click or right-click on the document in Windows Explorer and just choose Open With and Read It will appear in the list of applications that support it. Uh, and then it will then, if you choose that, it will import it start read it up import it and recognize it all automatically and it then makes it fully accessible with speech and then you can re-export that if you want to as a different format like an mp3 or an accessible pdf okay so the idea of being able to quickly uh, ocr a pdf the idea of being able to quickly take a snapshot using the camera you know you get something in the post and read it within seconds that's the thing it's nearly instant now it's sort of two seconds or so yeah okay um standalone reading devices then because i know that's another area that 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 you guys do yes uh, work on we've um, updated our standalone reading machine which was the ReadEasy Plus it's now called the ReadEasy Move and it's it sheds some weight it's down to £4 in weight um, and it's faster it starts up in 15 seconds so it's got a solid state hard drive in it like you get in the latest Ultrabooks um latest sort of Intel processor inside so it's only a couple of seconds to recognise and start reading and it's even more accurate so it's um, it's just sort of marginal improvements on everything on there but the prices remain the same. Okay, even better. Even yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. and, and then in the kind of uh, low vision, maybe exclusively low vision field, you, you're, you're doing a couple of products as well, right? That's right, yeah, we've got some really exciting new portable ones um, which feature for the first time sort of proper continuous autofocus. Okay. So they're handheld portable magnifiers but they will focus at any distance and they will do really good distance viewing as well so people can actually use them now properly for looking at signs or for things in the distance whereas before the products that had distance it didn't really work particularly well on Um, and they're also very lightweight there's a 4.3 inch unit that weighs um, about 220 grams I'm afraid I don't know what that is in in pounds but less than a half half a pound and then there's a 7 inch unit which has been incredibly popular because the, the larger screen enables a low vision user to see much more text on the screen at once um, and that one's only weighs about one pound. It's really interesting because I've had so many people come up to me today saying the amount of low vision portable technology that's here today is so good. You know, and <laughs> the, this was, there's so many people now who see a real potential, a practical day-to-day use for a lot of this stuff. You know, that's right. And it's. Uh, 
the nice thing about these with the autofocus is as well you're not limited to having to sit the unit on top of the thing you want to look at you can hold it three feet away and zoom in on it so if you're in a shop and you want to scan a shelf you can just zoom in and stand in the same place and look up and down the shelves yeah. if you want to um, handwrite underneath it it's always traditionally a bit tricky on a handheld portable but with these you can either one of them has a stand built in so you can easily write with it anyway the other one you can just lift off the page as far as you want fit your hand and your pen underneath and write with one hand while you're holding the unit above with the other hand and the autofocus just works so well on it Sounds like you have a great suite of products here, Alice. If people want to find out more, you guys are on the web? We are, yes. So um, the best place probably to find it would be www.visionaid.co.uk. Alice, thank you very much for chatting to us, and I hope the rest of the exhibition goes really well. Thanks very much, Stuart. Well, many thanks to Ellis from VisionAid there. It's always lovely to catch up with Ellis. He's a true gentleman, and uh, he definitely always has something interesting and innovative to show at these uh, assistive technology exhibitions. And before that, it was really nice to meet with James from Enhanced Vision, and I hope he's going to join us again at a future roadshow. Well, that's just about it, not only from our podcast episode this month, but from our technology podcast for 2013. It's been a great year, and thank you to everybody who's been listening and subscribing and downloading and getting in touch with me during the year, either by email or phone or in person. Your messages and your comments and your feedback is so much appreciated. And uh, we look forward to another great year in 2014. Speaking of 2014, do join us in January when, amongst other things, I'll be speaking with Daniel Britton, who's a transition year student in Donegal with low vision and has set up a blog on assistive technology. Before we go, I want to thank all my colleagues in NCBI for their assistance with our technology podcast and a very special thanks to our group CEO Des Kenny who always keeps me on the right track have a very happy peaceful and safe Christmas and I look forward very much to another year of great technical talk in 2014 from everybody involved with the NCBI technology podcast this is Stuart Lawler saying take care and goodbye goodbye